Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Adventure of Prayer, with a message entitled, Prayer and the Will of God. So let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I've now heard it both ways. One group of Christians stress that after all our prayers have been prayed, we should then add a final sentence, Lord, if it be your will. And then there are those who say, how can that be a prayer of faith? And furthermore, you're just introducing an escape clause, allowing you to explain away all those answers to prayers that you might have received. You'll never learn to pray effectively as long as that phrase accompanies your prayers. Well, perhaps you've heard both sides of that debate and you're confused. Am I being presumptuous by asking God for something and then expecting to get exactly what I asked for? Or on the other hand, am I lacking faith, always going to God and never knowing if I should expect anything in return? So consider both sides of that debate, for a case can be made for both sides from the book of James. You know, first from James chapter 1. Verse 5 says that if anyone lacks wisdom, let that person ask God, for God loves to give generously. Now to verses 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That is, as long as you're going backwards and forwards, you know, maybe I'm going to receive, maybe I won't. Well, you're a doubter. You're a person who's double-minded. You're a person who's unclear of a basic principle. You have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And so good, now we're clear. No more covering your basis with the words, if it be your will. It was only your lack of expectation in God's abundance, a God who's not miserly in his gifts towards his children. (laughs) But then, as we continue in our study of the book of James, we eventually come to James 4, verses 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That is to say, what horrible presumption, what ungodly pride attends the person who presumes either on tomorrow or on a given outcome. At some deep level, we need to affirm that tomorrow and the outcomes in life are not in our hands, but are in God's hands. There is in this regard an older Christian tradition, which I wish that we could recapture in our day. You know, Christians, let's say they were making an appointment for a meeting, they might say, see you next Wednesday, Lord willing. That is, in all things, they would add the phrase, if it be the Lord's will. Does that mean that at one time James is speaking out of one side of his mouth saying, just ask the Lord and don't second guess yourself. And then at another time he says, well, you know, you better say if it be your will. So actually, however, James is remarkably consistent. Look back at James 1, 6, and 7. You know, the thing that James wants people to ask for, what's well, not a new house or a new car. It's not even healing, although he's going to get to that in James chapter 5. But in James 1, He's talking about asking the Lord for wisdom. And if you want to know what James thinks about when he talks about wisdom, you need to go to James 3, verse 13. James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? 
And then he goes on to compare demonic wisdom with God's wisdom. Demonic wisdom is wisdom that is premised on bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Well, that was the problem that James is addressing in this letter. Fights, quarrels, selfish ambition among believers. He says, these things ought not to be. And then James tells us what godly wisdom looks like, and he describes it in James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so James says, are you lacking that? Well, then ask God to give it to you. And don't you pray if it be your will, because you already know good and well that this is the will of God for you. Ask God for things he has said he wants to give you and never doubt that he will give this very thing to you for he's already promised to all who would ask. And so we can rightly say that when we ask God for anything that we know is within his will, we should ask boldly, never doubting for a moment. But when we ask of things around which there is no promise, like You know, will you and I be alive tomorrow? Well, on those issues of which we know nothing, God knows. On those issues, we pray, Lord, if it be your will that I'm alive tomorrow. Well, let's give some illustrations of that, shall we? Let's start with 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, if you pray about that, sincerely ask God that you might grow in holiness and overcome sins that threaten your holiness. And if you don't doubt in your heart and you cling to this matter, asking the Holy Spirit to help you, God's going to give you that. You don't have to say, if it be your will, because you've already known that it is God's will. This is God's will for you. Or think of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That is, are you grouchy? Are you quick to complain? Are you slow to recognize God's grace all around you? Well, ask God for a thankful spirit that's able to worship and praise and rejoice in your God in every situation you find yourself in, even in difficulties. Ask God for that. Plead with him. And don't you say if it be your will, because he's already told you that it is his will. Don't doubt in your heart. He will give you what you ask, and he's going to give it in abundance. I know, I know. So many of us want to know God's will around things that aren't revealed to us. You know, the young man or woman who who wants to go into med school. So here's my counsel. Apply yourself as best as you can in your studies. Don't you waffle backwards and forwards wondering if it's God's will for you to be a medical doctor. Instead, tell God that if he allows you this privilege, that you're going to do so for the glory of God. Then pray, asking God for discipline, for a quick mind to learn. And then say to God, if you will it, I'll do this for your glory. And then if you make it, give thanks. Clearly, it was God's will. And if you don't, You must also learn to give thanks for an altogether wise God will not neglect to use you for his glory in some other field of endeavor. See, that's how you discover the will of God for becoming a medical doctor or not. Same thing if you're young and fall in love with someone of the opposite sex. You know, the young man should pray, Lord, if you're willing, I'd love to make that woman my wife. And if she tells you to get lost, (laughs) you you need to ask God for strength to pick yourself up and Find joy and satisfaction in God. 
But don't you dare stalk her. That's not wisdom, and it's definitely not God's will for you. God's will is that you should grow in holiness and learn to be thankful in all circumstances. If your heart is broken because the one you wanted for a wife or a husband is not to be, well, ask God for a joyful heart. Ask God to lead you to a spouse who will, as I like to say to young men, ask for someone who's godly and gorgeous. And by the way, you know, I was once rebuked by a young woman for saying, you know, ask for a woman who's gorgeous. You know, but my defense, you know, ask for a woman that's beautiful in your eyes and that you would be enraptured by her love. That's to say, all believers must learn, recognize the meticulous sovereignty of God and realize that our God seeks what is best, first for his glory and then second for our long-term and eternal good. Okay, having said that, let's consider 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So let's start with that statement. We have confidence. We have certainty. We should bear a deep conviction that whenever God reveals his will in the scripture, that we ask for things that we have not received and we should know that we, in effect, already have them. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That is, believe that it's already in the mail. It's coming to you on God's timetable. It won't delay even a moment beyond what the Father knows is best. It's yours. But still, some of us have asked for something of which we're sure is the will of God, and yet up to this point, you've not received it. So how can that be, we ask? We've been praying to overcome a sin, or we've been praying for the salvation of a loved one, or we've been praying for a situation that's involved in mission. And instead of seeing a breakthrough, many people coming to Christ, we hear there's been persecution and resistance to the gospel. So we ask, how can that be? Well, clearly we have much more to learn. Do you ever find yourself wanting to spend time with the Lord in His Word, but don't seem to find the time? Well, here at Back to the Bible Canada, we understand some days are hectic and challenging. And that's why we would encourage you to check out our Back to the Bible Canada Bible Minute podcast. Each episode contains a one-minute audio Bible teaching message from Dr. John Newfeld, with new episodes Monday through Friday. These are perfect for those moments when you're seeking spiritual encouragement, but time is short. So you can download the Bible Minute podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit backtothebible.ca slash apps. For more information, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And thank you to all those who make Bible teaching resources like the Bible Minute available through your gracious gifts. Let me suggest several things that might explain why sometimes prayers that are in the will of God are not answered. Let's start with an easy one. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
So let me speak for a moment to married men. Are you being harsh with your wife, constantly criticizing her, demeaning her, perhaps even abusing her? So I hope you see that you may be praying for something else that's completely unrelated to your relationship with your wife, but God is still not answering you. He demands that you love your wife as Christ loved the church. So I have a bit of counsel for you. Begin with a prayer that sounds like this. Heavenly Father, I have been harsh towards my wife, and I know it's a sin. Perhaps there's anger in me, or perhaps I'm embittered towards her. Lord, teach me to treat her as you have commanded me to treat her. Ephesians 5. Change my attitude and my actions. May she become to me the object of my love. May she be delightful to me. Amen. God's going to hear you. And more, God will also answer that other thing that you've been praying about. Let me give you another example of hindered prayers. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <laughs> that nasty little piece about forgiveness. Now add to that Mark eleven twenty-five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Yeah, some of us have not had answered prayers because we've harbored deep bitterness in our heart, a bitterness we're not going to let go. Some of us even have faces that reflect an, an angry soul. And so our first prayer before we ask for other things is to deal with this. Let me help you with this. You know, those of you who have been abused by someone or robbed by someone or slandered by someone or harmed by someone, First, you need to know the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation, well, that's only possible when the other person repents. And so the teaching on forgiveness is not a teaching to open yourself up to more abuse in the future. You must do what you can to protect yourself. But forgiveness, well, that has to be offered up freely. In your prayers, you need to go to the Father and say, Father, in relationship to, and then, you know, fill in the name, you know, George or Sally, Father, I forgive. You might have to say that every day. You might even have to write George a note and say, George, I know you don't think you've done anything wrong, but that's between you and God. On my part, I forgive you. Your issue isn't between us. It's only between you and God. As far as I'm concerned, I release you. Again, that might still mean that a relationship might not be possible, but if you run into George, greet him. Don't you curse him. Ask God to give you a forgiving heart. Ask in faith, for this is the will of God for you, and God will give you a forgiving heart. By the way, real forgiveness says, if there is a way forward to reconciliation, I, I'd welcome it. Are there other issues that might hinder our prayers? Yeah. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So hear me. That doesn't mean that we have to be sin-free to get our prayers answered. No, that's not what Psalm 66 teaches. Rather, it speaks of cherishing iniquity. Well, what's cherished iniquity? Well, a cherished iniquity is that sin of which we will not repent. So let me turn the matter around. Let's say you're that person who has acted wickedly against someone else. You were the one who slandered someone. You were the one that caused pain and hurt someone. You just won't repent. Even though your guilt is plain, you will not renounce your sin. You cherish it. You won't give it up. 
Or let's say you're struggling with a habitual sin in some area of your life. What should you do? Well, you should pray about that. You should renounce the sin. You should plead with God for more grace. But what if you decide not to do that? If you simply love your sin, you want to cling to it. Well, in that case, God won't hear the prayer you have about those other things. Your failure to repent will keep your prayer from being heard. In fact, while we're on that theme, let's talk about confession of sin, shall we? You know, in Matthew 6, we have a request from the disciples to Jesus. Teach us to pray. The disciples ask our Lord. And of course, in response, Jesus gave them a model for praying. The Lord's Prayer, although it's most beneficial to repeat it, it really is a model that governs all of our praying. And in Matthew 6, verse 12, Jesus says that we must pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, we've already talked about forgiving our debtors, but we must add that we must go to our Heavenly Father and ask Him to forgive our sins against Him. I know that there are those who argue that sins have already been forgiven because Jesus already died on the cross for our sins. So what else can we do? I mean, to ask God to forgive sins, at least that's how this argument goes. Well, it would be like asking God to give us that which we've already received. Well, I have a very simple response to that. The reason we must confess our sins to God is, listen, because Jesus taught us to do it. Well, we start with that argument. It does no good to develop a theology that pits you against a command that's given clearly by Jesus. Let me say it again. We confess our sins because that's what Jesus taught us to do when we pray. It's as simple as that. Ah, but it's still valuable to ask why we should do that, knowing that the cross has forgiven us. Well, the answer when we think about it is really quite profound. Developing a habit of asking God to forgive our sins helps us to remember, one, sin is unacceptable. Two, God is merciful to me. And three, that I need to adopt an attitude of humility toward him and not have an attitude of arrogant entitlement about forgiveness. Now, I know that forgiveness is grace. So listen to Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. That is, we should pray to help us see those sins that are hidden from our own eyes. Or consider James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And by the way, on that note, I've deeply come to appreciate those churches that make confession of sin a part of their worship services. Many of them will have a written prayer which God's people will repeat, humbly renouncing their sins and appealing to the mercy of God found in the cross of his Son. It's very, very good practice. It fosters faith. But since we've gone from forgiving enemies to asking God for his forgiveness, let's also talk about this thing called humility. James 4 verse 6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So think about that. God opposes proud people. If we refuse to repent, we're proud. God stands in the way. He wants to oppose us. If we refuse to identify with the least of these, if our only friends are those who meet our standards, God stands opposed to us. We should not think that God will answer our prayers if we will not humble ourselves. So I hope you can see that all of this is the exact opposite of being sinless. When we pray, we don't enter into God's presence because we're worthy. That, after all, would be the opposite of praying in Jesus' name. On the contrary, 
we're aware of our own sins and we're conscious that it is grace that has provided access into the Holy of Holies. We marvel at his mercy. We don't marvel at our righteousness. No, no, we're sinners. But we do know that if we hide our sins or if we harbor rebellion against the great God, he won't answer. It does absolutely no good to ask, what is God's will for my life? And then pray for that car or that house or that university exam or even relief from financial problems or for healing. The will of God on those matters is irrelevant if we don't approach God on his terms. And so, yes, we should pray about everything from our daily bread to the luxuries that we would like to have. And we should know that our Heavenly Father delights to give good gifts to his children. But we should also bear an attitude of humility in his presence. We should remember when we pray into whose presence we come. For it's only in an attitude of faith that we'll discover God's will and learn to pray with confidence. But once we do, we'll be amazed at the graciousness of our God and of the constancy of his love and care for his children. Go to God today bring your request to him. His storehouses are not exhausted by your prayers. He's not tired by your constant requests. He delights to hear you, and he delights to answer. This is the will of God for your life. So, here's a question about the will of God. I've often said that, you know, it's not about his will, it's what I will not do is more important to me sometimes than what I will do. But the will of God, we search it out, and yet, is it not evident more times than not what the will of God is presented to us right in the Word of God? Yeah, uh, that is the, the key issue of Scripture. What is the will of God for me, that I should walk holy and humbly before my God, that I should abstain from sexual immorality, that I should grow in holiness. This is it. This is it. This is what, that's what we're talking about. I, I think so much of, uh, you know, confusion is people constantly trying to, you know, I mean, does God want me to marry Susie? Does he want me to become a medical doctor? All that kind of stuff. I want to say this. You know, Augustine, I think, said it so well. Love God with all your heart. That is, follow the way that God has prescribed for us. And then in all those decisions of life, do whatever you want. God will be with you. And and I need to say that. Um, God will be with you. So he will steer you. He will guide you. Uh, Just go forward with confidence. And uh, that's the will of God for our lives. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, The Adventure of Prayer, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. As God's children, we praise our Heavenly Father who overflows with love and grace. Not only did he create us and sacrifice his one and only son for our redemption, but he longs for intimacy with his people. And prayer is an essential tool for growing relationships with Christ. But for so many of us, prayer remains a discipline in need of deepening. That's why this month, Back to the Bible Canada, is offering a booklet entitled 30 Days of Prayer, A Season of Conversation with God. Within its pages are 30 prayers hand-selected by Dr. John to reflect on in your quiet moments before God. 
It's not an instruction manual, but actual prayers intended to be used as a meditation. To request your free copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.